Hi, and welcome to Make Your Own Rules, the Mavericks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, Christian Roy, and this is the place to be to become your best self, do work you love, and live life on your terms. On this podcast, we speak to Mavericks who inspire us. We aim to get the insight and wisdom from their story to give you the clarity, courage, and conviction that you need to make your own rules. And let's face it, one of the biggest barriers to living life on your terms is the lack of time and just having too many things to do, right? If we could just get ourselves a bit more organized and productive, things would be better. Or at least that's what we tell ourselves. Well, productivity expert Chris Bailey believes that it's not about managing time, it's actually about managing your attention. Social media and split focus are ruining the quality of our lives and what we accomplish. And in his new book called Hyperfocus, Chris looks at what mindfulness really means and how it can supercharge our productivity and our lives. Chris is just a really warm, compassionate man who's super knowledgeable and full of practical tips. I also really love that he's quite a productivity geek as well. In this podcast, we talk about the neuroscience of productivity, meditation as a time management tool, and the difference between getting stuff done and accomplishing meaningful goals. So with that, let's jump right in. So hi Mavericks, welcome to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast again, it's your host here, Chris Roy, and today we have a very special guest all the way from Ontario, Canada, and that's Mr. Chris Bailey. Hi Chris, how are you today? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Yeah, doing just great, thanks. So Chris, uh, thank you for being on the show. Um, Mavericks, Chris is a an author in the space of productivity, of attention, of uh, mindfulness, and he has a new book coming out in the UK this week, came out in the US last week, called Hyperfocus. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, how you got to this topic, and kind of the the year of productivity uh, project that kind of... Yeah. Oh, that that takes me back. That, that, that was... Um... I've always been a big nerd about a lot of different things, but productivity is probably the the interest that takes the cake as being uh, the one that I'm the biggest nerd about. So it's, it's been in the backdrop against the the life I've been living for as long as I can remember. But well, you know, through, through high school, I, I would try to uh, try, try to find ways to get mid nineties grades without uh, doing much work. Then that continued through university and, uh, the the few uh, corporate internships I worked in that point, um, just trying to squeeze as much out of the limited time I had every day, because ultimately I'm a very lazy person, and so I want more time to be lazy and <laughs> think and read books and uh, and uh, write a little bit, whatever I want, and and so that interest carried through to when I graduated from university and I received mm-hmm. a few full time job offers, but I thought if there's a time when I could actually do something that interests me and that I love and that I'm really curious about, it's then. So I declined the jobs Mm -hmm. to start something called a year of productivity, which was uh, essentially a year of my life where I dove as deep as I possibly could into this world of of productivity advice, these hacks, these tips, these these mind tricks, and also the the deeper advice, all, all in an effort to separate what worked from what didn't. And luckily that gained a following. It led to a book called The Productivity Project. That led to a second book uh, called Hyperfocus. Uh, and, uh, and luckily I just get to continue doing this for a living because of that initial risk and that uh, initial curiosity. I love that. And that's, I mean, that's a big thing for someone who's just left college to do. So, um, so here you are having just Hyperfocus is just coming out. I mean, as, a, as, a, as we were talking about just before we hit record, 
Um, one of the biggest challenges for our audience, Mavericks out there, is just uh, uh, you know so many things pulling their attention. You know, be mid you know mid career, possibly having families. But let's face it, we live in a in an attention starved world these days, anyway. And you know, with social media and all that's a whole other thing. So. Tell us a little bit about uh, high, about the um, the book, what the kind of focus is, and then let's dive in a little bit more from there. Yeah, for sure. Well, I noticed this phenomenon in myself, and this is often tough to talk about as somebody who makes his living as a productivity expert. Uh, after the productivity project came came out, I noticed that I was more distracted at that point than I had been in years. Really? Uh, I tended to social media more often. It kind of, you know, I, I found that I didn't have time to read anymore. Uh, and what what I re- quickly realized is that I, I had the time to read. I was just spending it on Instagram and email and and looking at the news. Right. And I thought, okay, maybe I don't have the attention for it instead. And I found. I found that I didn't have the attention for a lot of different things in my life and uh, realized a couple things to that point that maybe if I was going through this as somebody who's so into productivity that other people are as well. And that second of all, maybe if I'm giving advice that we should resist distraction and all that stuff, and it's not working for me when I'm not on a tight deadline, maybe there's a bigger picture that I'm missing with regard to that idea. And so I did a similar deep dive. I don't know if you ever uh, watch any of those crime shows where somebody's solving a murder and they have a a big map in their office with string attached to (laughs) pictures, attached attached to memos, attached to newspaper articles. That was like my office, but with hundreds of (laughs) <laughs> journal articles related to how we focus. Because I, I found that the books out there weren't good enough, frankly. And, there, and there's enough books about time management, but not really any about attention management. So that's mm. really what I set out to create, where, where the gaps exist in the research. I did experiments. I talked uh, to the experts. And you know, I found that uh, a lot of different curious things, like that we're distracted an awful lot, but that this Distraction isn't necessarily our fault. Um, mm-hmm. I, I discover things like that. The, um, the the state of our attention is really what determines the state of our lives. If we're distracted in each moment, these moments accumulate day mm. by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, uh, to create a life that feels distracted and overworked and overwhelmed. Right. Um, if we pay attention to what's meaningful in the moment, a conversation like this one, a, a book we're reading, a, a partner that's sitting across from us at a restaurant, um, and we pay attention to what's productive, you know, the, the things that we really want to accomplish, our side hustle that leads us to accomplish more uh, creative hobby, whatever it might be, then our lives become more productive and meaningful as a result because that's how we manage our attention. But, it, you know, productivity is great, but it's in the moment by moment basis uh, that we actually progress our lives and our work forward in a meaningful uh, and productive way. And so I think that's where the power of uh, managing our attention deliberately and well comes into play because there's, there's just so much room there to do better. Mm, mm. I love that. And there's, there's something very rich there around, let's face it, as you said, there are hundreds if not thousands of books on time management but at the end of the day we all have the same amount of time right you can't actually manage time it marches on but you can manage where you place your attention so so let so being kind of really practical then um 
mm-hmm. because so many people are, you know, and I, I love what you said about like how those moments of distraction accumulate. If you're in one of those lives where you have all these distractions and things have accumulated and you feel like you don't have enough time. How do you begin to turn that boat around? What's the, what's the kind of the first step as it were? I think you need to look at how stimulated you are by default. And this is kind of, it's something that moves in waves. So we're on vacation, for example, and we're not that stimulated. We're relaxing on the beach with a pina colada and Mm -hmm. a a book and and maybe a loved one there. Um, And then afterwards, we return to uh, a hyper-distracted state where we wake up and it's our phone that wakes us up and we bounce around between a loop of five or six apps before we get out of bed and then we go to work. The the latest research that I found uh, says that we switch between tasks every 40 seconds uh, when we're trying to focus on something at work. So we we barely work on something for a minute. So we, we have kind of these rhythms of our lives where on vacation, people always seek out vacations, but I think they seek out that reduction in stimulation just as much because it's what allows us to think deeply. It's what allows us to uh, set goals and and step back from our life to plan. And so I I think that stimulation is a great place to start. Um, There are certain attributes that uh, an object of attention can have that naturally are are magnets for our attention. There's three of them, in fact. Mm. Um, So our our attention naturally grabs anything that is first, pleasurable, uh, second, threatening. And third, anything that's novel. And so we even have a, a mechanism in our mind that rewards us with dopamine each time we focus on something new right. and, and novel. And so we have all this dopamine coursing through our mind when we're in this overstimulated state where we don't really dive into anything too deeply. We don't really um, you know, explore and, and think too deeply about what's on our plate. And we can't uh, become immersed and, and switch between things as well as, as we can, say, when we're on vacation. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of possible to have that vacation feeling m- more of the time by right. ratcheting down uh, how frequently we switch between things and seek out these novel stimuli in our environment. And, you know, it makes things less attractive in the moment at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think as you uh, begin to read books again, as you begin to uh, have your attention bat around less often by social media, uh, as you, uh, you're able to focus more deeply on what's actually important, uh, then, uh, then you see all the gains that are to be made. But it, so much of it comes from, I think, recognizing, you know, taming distractions, it's, it's good, good advice to give, um, but it's hard to take. Uh, yeah. I think a good place to start is uh, how much meaning do these elements of your life actually provide you with? Uh, would you say Twitter provides you with a deep level of meaning? Do you feel uh, happier when you're on Twitter versus uh, having a conversation with your spouse? Uh, do you feel happier on Facebook than you do um, than you do diving into a creative hobby or or reading a book and and having the attention for that? And uh, I think the answer a lot of the times is we're more stimulated, but we're not necessarily experiencing more meaning or accomplishing as much through these things. So I think it comes from ratcheting down the screen time for you know it's a big yeah. part of it too yeah 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 absolutely absolutely um so that being the case i mean you know as we talked about before we we hit record as well you know a lot of this comes down to as you say being in the moment mindfulness that that kind of thing and 
you know, mindfulness is obviously one of those big words in business and in life these days. And I think a lot of people associate it with meditation or whatever else. What does it mean to you on a day-to-day basis? Well, we rarely check up on what's in our mind. That, that's what it means to me. You know, mindfulness is noticing what our mind is full of. Uh, if we're, if it's full of distraction in the moment, yeah. it, essentially it's just checking up on what we, uh, what we're paying attention to. That's all it means for me. Um, and, and, you know, this, this speaks to a construct in, in uh, research called uh, metacognition, where we're essentially thinking about thinking that that's mm-hmm. all mindfulness is to me. Uh, me- meditation. I'm, I'm looking at my meditation cushion right now. It's right by my <laughs> desk. <laughs> you know, I, I, I sit for about 30 minutes a day, but also try to practice uh, this, this awareness of where our attention is at throughout the day too. Uh, one, one of my favorite strategies to, to bring things, uh, like you're saying, to the tactical level is um, having an, an hourly awareness chime, uh, whether on your phone, whether on another device. And when the chime goes off, uh, ask yourself, okay, what am I focusing on now? Uh, am I distracted? Am I working with intention on something that's actually important? Or did I just focus on what is uh, latest and loudest in my environment? What, 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 in other words, what's most pleasurable, threatening, and novel? And so I, I think it's, that's what it means for me is checking up on where our mind is at. But if we find that it's somewhere that we're not comfortable with, that we don't want it to be, yeah. uh, then realigning it to, to pay attention to something that is uh, a more fruitful object of attention. Mm, mm. And, I know, and I know um, when we kind of start to focus on those things that are more fruitful, then obviously we begin, we obviously begin to focus more. Um, and I know, you, you know, in the book, you kind of talk about a couple of different types of, um, of awareness, as it were. You talk about hyper-focus and also scatter-focus. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the, the, these were a couple of surprising findings that, that I made from the research. Well, hyperfocus wasn't too surprising. Um, it, it's essentially, it, the, it's the word I use to describe the attentional state where our full attention is devoted to one thing, but we chose to focus on that thing. So it's this, this full attention coupled with uh, this deliberate attention that I think w- is what makes hyperfocus so powerful because we're focusing on something important and meaningful and we're bringing our full selves to it. We're not spreading ourselves thinly across a, a few different things. Uh, but scatter focus is uh, what what is uh, unfocusing deliberately. So in any moment of the day, we're either focused on something or we're unfocused and we're letting our mind wander. And uh, th- this is a surprising finding uh, from this whole project, looking at at all this research, building my my murder map essentially. What a <laughs> terrible term, murder map. I love paying pay such a visual though. I love it. It does, yeah. <laughs> Who murdered our attention? Who's responsible for <laughs> for this? <laughs> um, but this um, this flip side of focus is, uh, I think, not talked about enough hmm. and not practiced enough because it's when our attention is at rest that we become the most creative. So we're productive when we're focused on something, but we also need these moments of, of these, this hazier attention when, when we're taking a shower and, and our best ideas come to us. Yeah. Uh, the fascinating thing about when our mind is, uh, when we let it wander deliberately is it has a propensity to wander toward the future. And so, you know, we think about the future about half of the time when our mind is wandering uh, versus what, 
one study I encountered over the course of writing the book that blew me away. And it was that we think about our goals 14 times as much when our mind is resting and wandering versus when we're focused on something. And so this is what, you know, if we want to work with more intention, if we want that purposefulness behind what we're doing, we need to let our mind rest. You know, this is when we recharge, of course, we need to recharge our attention, but we also need to choose what we focus on in the first place. And that that's what gets us there while we uh, connect the ideas that are swirling around in our minds. Mm -hmm. As you're talking, I'm reminded kind of, in, in a slightly different way of kind of of uh, Daniel Pink's um, thinking fast and slow, as it were, and the and the different thinking modes. Daniel Kahneman, yeah. Sorry, Daniel. Sorry, Kahneman. <laughs> even I've, I've been reading too many Daniels recently. Sorry. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of Daniels out there. Really are, aren't there? A lot of Daniels. <laughs> um, so, so in terms of like, you know, I, if I'm say sitting down at my desk in the morning and I've got like a pretty long to do list and all that kind of thing. Um, how what, what's the best way for me to kind of you know ease into that day as it were with mindfulness with kind of be with yeah. attention you know to really set myself up for having a good environment to kind of work as it were yeah what, one of my favorite strategies for this is it's just setting intentions more often and uh, the the rule that i love to follow myself is called the rule of three and it goes something like this so at the start of the day you fast forward to the end of the day in your mind and you ask yourself, by the time that this day is done, what three main things will I want to have accomplished? And it's very simple, but there's something odd uh, about the way, way our attention is wired, where we're wired to think in threes. Uh, we have sayings like, good things come in threes and Ooh. celebrities die in threes and the third time's the charm and uh, the good, the That's bad, true. the ugly, blood, sweat, and tears. We uh, grow up immersed in stories like the three little bears, the uh, three blind mice, the three little pigs, the three musketeers. Absolutely <laughs> right. You thought we, about this a lot, haven't you? <laughs> I, I think about things a bit too much, to be honest. <laughs> With the, it's a, and so it's a number that fits comfortably. We can chunk around three or four uh, unique pieces of information in our attention at once. So it fits comfortably in our attention. That, that's kind of the attentional limit, three or four things. Mm. Um, and you see this often with phone numbers. And so we chunk those into uh, often groups of three and four, um, maybe more groups of four if, if you're off in the UK. But you know, you don't say mm. my phone number is uh, 1,613,800. <laughs> you, say, you say it's, uh, you know, it's 1,613,898, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, And so you, you say it in chunks of three and four. And so this rule fits with the way that you think. So you actually mm. remember the intentions that you set. But at the same time, you can only pick three. So you have to choose what's actually important over the course of the day. And uh, I highly recommend putting them on your whiteboard. If you have a whiteboard in your office or just mm. a sheet of paper on your desk or in a notes app, if you, uh, if you carry a notes app around with you. And uh, it's a great reminder. And so when you notice that your mind is wandering, when you notice that maybe your hourly awareness chime goes off and, and that you're distracted on, on something that's not that important, you think, okay, what should I work on now? You choose something that's important on that list because those were the intentions that you set. Then you can go back on a more productive course. 
Absolutely. And there is, there's something that you said there that uh, I, I want to pick up on, which was around kind of fast forwarding to the end of the day. It's almost like traveling forward yeah. in time to look backwards, as opposed to doing what a lot of us do, which is going to input mode, which is mm. just kind of what are the three things I need to, you know, just focus on today and then we get distracted. Is there, is there a thinking behind the, the fast forwarding to the end of the day, beginning with the end in mind, as it were? Wow, I, I'm so happy you caught that. No, no, not many people catch that, um, and it's because it, it's so difficult to step inside the uh, the the shoes of our future self. Um, and so, you know, often we're just kind of going on this autopilot mode. We're dealing with what's latest and loudest, and we rarely think about ourselves in the future. Uh, right next to me here on the desk, um, it, whoever visits me in my office here. Um, is often creeped out by this, but I have an old man picture of myself. And so it's wow. done with an app called Aging Booth, uh, where you you know, you take a self-portrait or yep. selfie, as some people say. It speeds, it's, it shows you what you look like uh, 40 years, 50 years down the line. <laughs> it adds a bunch of wrinkles and <laughs> things like that. And it, it's a great way of connecting with your future self because we uh, are so often disconnected with our future selves. Um, so we think of... The, the fascinating thing about that is if you uh, lay a bunch of lay a bunch of people down, you ask them to think about uh, their themselves in that moment uh, and, and the, themselves in the future and a total stranger like George Clooney or or Taylor Swift or or whomever. Yeah. Um, they <laughs> see their future selves as a total stranger. In other words, most of the time, mm. um, the, the brain scans are almost identical to one another. And the more disconnected you are with your future self, it's not just some weird phenomenon. Uh, you're, you'll save less for retirement. You'll procrastinate more because it's as if you're giving a task uh, to a total stranger to do. Um, it's, like you're, it's like you're giving an Excel sheet to Taylor Swift to finish off with. Um, and, and so- by stepping in the shoes of your future self, um, I, I do this at the start of each day. I do this at the start of each week, too. So when Sunday rolls around, I think, okay, by the time this week is done, what three main things will I want to be different in the world, in my work, in my life? What will I want to have accomplished? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, thinking in those terms, not just what do I have to do, but what do I want to accomplish? You know, you make sure you move your work forward. Um, thinking to, to, to the end of the day or the end of the week, you, you're able to um, really uh, minimize regrets with living a, a day and a week of your life uh, while also uh, overcoming that impulse to just focus on what's latest and loudest. Mm, mm. The, and there's also uh, something there isn't there about creating a, a, a gestalt so i mean that's a, a term in psychology where we create a whole i guess so when when i guess when you're you're kind of stepping into those steps of your future self you're focusing on on the what the outcome rather than the how and very often yeah. i guess the thing that, that trips us up or wigs us out is how, how am i going to get there how am i going to do this kind of thing whereas um, I really like that, that you're kind of setting this thing in the future. And I love that, that, that word, of, you know, what do I want to be different in the world? I think you said, mm. so I, I yeah. love that. I absolutely love that. Well, well, this is like, we, we so often fall into these patterns of busyness, don't we? Where, mm. and this, this is something that I found in myself <laughs> before writing this book where I, I, I had never been so busy, but while accomplishing so little. Right. And it's a, it's a weird phenomenon because we tend to look 
uh, to how busy we are um, as as a measure for how productive we are. Because it's so hard to measure our productivity when we, especially when we do knowledge work for a living. It's not like we're cranking out widgets on an assembly line. And if we make four widgets one day instead of two, we're twice as productive. Mm-hmm. We can write 400 lines of code instead of 200. Those 400 lines of code could have twice as many bugs and half as many features. Um, and so the work isn't always as cut and, and dry. And so we look at, okay, how many words did I write? How many lines of code did I write? How, uh, how much did I produce instead of how much did I actually accomplish? What's, what's different in the world because I lived a day of my life? Um, you know, I really, and, and this is something that, that changed in, in my own mind in researching productivity is I used to think about it as doing more, 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 faster, faster, faster. Right, right. But as time went on, I started to see it as, okay, what, it's doing the right things and doing those things deliberately and with intention behind that. You know, and intention, I think, is, is the yardstick uh, against which we, we should measure our productivity. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what I love is that is, what do I want to accomplish? How, you know, what do I want to be different in the world? Because I've lived a day of my life. You know, one of the things, you know, any coach, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a coach and will tell you is, it's about the questions you ask yourself, the powerful questions. Mm. And that just elevates the, the level of thinking and conversation beyond uh, you know, what have I got to do today? <laughs> it's it's a wholly yeah. different ball game. I, that is a fabulous question, Chris. What, what's what's your favorite question to ask yourself each day? Um, what what do I want today? That that's my thing. What do I want today? And uh, it's because for me, that's about engaging my emotional self as well. Yeah. So, huh. um, yeah. Love so that. yeah. Um, so let, let, let's, we've, we've talked a lot about where to focus and all that kind of stuff. I know one, one of the things you talk about in the book, which is a kind of a, a kind of controversial productivity subject, is the subject <laughs> of multitasking um, yeah. and whether we can do it or not. And, you know, the old adage of, you know, men can't multitask and all that kind of thing. What's your take on multitasking from the research and from your experience? Yeah, th- this is a fascinating phenomenon. And I think multitasking is very misunderstood. Um, And and it's because we can't actively focus on more than one thing at one time. And so, you know, we can't have that concurrent attention. And so what what people really refer to when they mention multitasking is this uh, rapid switching between things uh, that that in the moment makes us busier, but less productive. (laughs) And and the and the reason why it makes us less productive is actually quite fascinating. And it's because, well, first of all, to, to revisit multitasking, I, I, we can't focus on more than one thing, but we can do more than one thing at one time, um, especially with regard to habits. Because once we uh, spend a bit of attention to initiate a habit, initiate doing a habit, our brain mm. runs through the rest of that habit sequence uh, in our mind, largely on autopilot mode, and we only have to uh, expend a bit more of attention to focus on that thing when we have to intervene on that habit sequence. And so what the hell does that mean? We're, we're driving home, and we see that a detour sign has been posted. We can't take our familiar route. And so we have to turn down the radio that we're listening to um, to, to give our attention to following that route. Uh, because we can't do it on autopilot mode, our brain can't run through the habit sequences. But 
when we're doing work, you know, I mentioned that that stat, we, we switch between tasks every 40 seconds. Yeah. This is the task switching that we do. And the fascinating thing, the reason why this, this costs us productivity and meaning, uh, you know, this, this is one of those things where I went into the research thinking, okay, if, if this switching, because it makes it more stimulating to work that way. So if, if our work takes a bit longer when we do that, maybe that's fine. You know, it's, it's more of an engaging work. Time seems to go by a bit quicker. Um, but the reason why it doesn't work um, tasks, tasks take about 50% longer um, compared to when we focus on something from start through completion. Um, so we can multitask, wow. but just with habits. But uh, there's a certain residue that exists within our attention as we switch from one thing to another. And so we're having this conversation right now. And as soon as we hang up on the call and we switch to doing something else, we won't be able to focus on what we're doing completely. Like, let's say we each pick up a book after this conversation finishes. A certain part of our attentional space will be devoted to the conversation that we were just having. It'll be remembering things we were talking about. It'll be sure. saying, oh, I wish I uh, could have said that <laughs> instead of that. It'll be uh, saying, it'll be recalling and reliving that experience. And we do this throughout the day, but on a very micro level. Um, so we switch to from Instagram, spending on 40, 40 seconds on that, to doing email for 40 seconds. Then we go to Excel for 40 seconds, and we have a meeting, and we focus for 40 seconds in that before we pick up our phone for another 40. And so this is our state of divided attention. And so because there's this residue that exists within our attentional space, we can never completely switch to something else. Um, yeah. So this is why it takes us longer to, to switch between everything um, because, because we can never do that cleanly because we're constantly switching so often. So I, I think it's this, sense. you know, not, not to get too bogged down in the research, but this constant craziness of switching between things, it, it would be fine honestly, if we could switch from doing one thing to the next to the next, but we can't make our mind forget what we were just doing. Um, there, there's kind of an aftertaste of that, which uh, consumes quite a bit of our attentional space um, and compromises our, our focus and how deeply we're able to dive into something. That makes so much. And it's, it's funny because now that you've actually mentioned it, it's like, actually, I can, I can see that straight away in everything I do. That residue piece is absolutely true. Yeah, um, actually, me meditation makes it a lot easier uh, to switch from one thing to the next. So if you want to multitask better, <laughs> or the task switch better, excuse me, um, meditate, but still, you're going to experience a lot of that residue. Um, and uh, it, it's fascinating. You, you actually remember less too when you're rapidly switching between things. You, you can compare, you know, a show you're binge watching on Netflix when maybe your phone is nearby um, and your tablet's nearby, so you kind of uh, increase your stimulation that much more when you're when you're doing it. So you know, there's more dopamine coursing through your mind uh, as you're watching the show. Um, think about how much you remember of the shows that you binge watch versus the movies say that you uh, watch in a theater where they, they have to play those videos now to uh, force people to, to shut their phone off before they dive into the experience. But, right. uh, but once you do, you're able to process it that much more deeply. 
your mind actually processes the world differently when you're rapidly switching between things. You, you, you process the world not through the, the memory center of your mind, the, the hippocampus, uh, but through the habit centers of your mind, your basal ganglia, which is why you remember so much less of, of a show you're binge watching or uh, on work you're binge doing you know, by switching between tasks so rapidly um, because you actually don't remember it. You, you don't process it with that part of your mind. So you know, the, the cost... We, we focus on the productivity cost. Can we can can we or can't we multitask? But the cost runs so much deeper, and, the, and there's so much more intricate than that. I I think because we have so much less meaning, we remember less. We we can only see meaning in what we remember in the first place. So, um, you know, if if you find that the meaning that you see around you is has been decreasing, maybe your attention is a good place to to start mm-hmm. to look at. Mm-hmm. What I love about you know what you're saying chris and you know where this conversation is going is you know productivity as we said said earlier can be such a you know it can be such a hacky subject you know kind of talking about the apps you use or the mind hacks or that kind of stuff but there's you know you you relate this right back to research but also kind of to the deeper sense of meaning and purpose and you know surely ultimately speaking this is all about you know how do we live a life of more meaning purpose joy all of that kind of stuff well, hacks are great. Like I, I love talking about apps. I, we, we could probably chat about how I use things as my to-do list manager across my iPad and my phone and, and my watch and my Macs all, you know, for, for a good half an hour. But you know, all, all, this is something that totally surprised me when I was looking at, at the research and kind of piecing it together and building that map is that productivity isn't the reason to manage your attention well. It's, it's a byproduct of managing your attention well. The reason that you should manage your attention well is that the state of our attention determines the state of our lives. Um, and and um, our, our attention is so often, what's a good way to say it? Out of sync with what we're experiencing. Um, yeah. It's not grounded to what we're doing. We're having a conversation with uh, with a, a loved one. And, and what's more meaningful than that? And our... Uh, our mind is full of residue from our phone that we were just on, which is compromising the meaning that we're seeing in that moment. There's meaning all around us. We just need to pay attention to it. Um, I, I have this idea that that love is really no different for, than sharing quality attention with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you feel someone's presence. You feel them there with you. Um, and, and that's where intimacy comes from. You can't have uh, love without that quality attention. Mm. And, uh, and I think this, this is true for every part of our life. We see more meaning around us when we, um, when we don't work in such a reactive way. Uh, you know, something I, I was thinking about the other day is like, when was the last time I, I went a day without looking at a screen? You know, the iPad that I have, uh, my my Apple Watch that's on my wrist, the phone. I, I'm good at taming distractions out, out of necessity because I think it's vital for my productivity. But when was the last time I didn't look at a screen? And and so um, my fiance Arden and I, we, we spent yesterday not looking at screens. And we read books and we went on walks throughout town. Um, we went to dinner. We couldn't book a reservation. <laughs> but, but we... Uh, we just stumbled into a, into a restaurant we've, we've never been in before in the small town that, that we live in here in Ontario. And 
it's probably the most meaningful day that I've had in a long, long time. And, and so, you know, I, I, I noticed that I, I was experiencing more meaning as I was writing the book and things like that. But going completely without screens is, is so, and so many ideas come to you too, things you want to do differently. You, you, you enter into that scatter focus mode on a whole new level. It, it's great throughout the day. To, to have these little gaps between things. But when you do it for, for a longer period of time also, also um, you just notice so much more. It's, it's really beautiful. Not, yeah. not, not to get like a, a, all a kind of try to be inspirational or anything like that, but it's, it, there's so much beauty around us. We just don't notice it anymore. Um, and and that, it's such a big shame because we're always looking downwards instead of outwards. I, I couldn't agree more, to be honest. And I mean, just, you know, to, to take it to a slightly different level. I mean, I took a bit of a retreat earlier in this year in BC, actually, funnily enough. And part of that, because it's so difficult to, you know, get that internal focus and really just connect with yourself. I just kind of took several days in the woods away from, I couldn't get a signal or anything. And you're right. Yeah. Just you're uh, the, the, the level of, it's almost like you know colors become brighter and you know all you know to go all all kind of uh, inspirational about it but it's entirely true it's entirely true yeah so, and we we feel some uh, anxiety uh, as we adjust downward into a lower level of stimulation um and, and we usually label that as boredom uh, boredom is that that feeling when, that we uh experience when we suddenly have to adjust downward into a lower level of stimulation mm. but once we get past boredom um that is such a great place to be the place that that exists beyond boredom and beyond stimulation it's not that stimulation is a bad thing it's good if our mind wasn't stimulated we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning but we we need a balance of all these things and so i think feeling the out the other side of it is vital as well Mm, mm, love that so let's kind of, if I can, I just want to turn the, the spotlight to, on, on you, as it were, because we've talked a lot about your work and, and the, the book. But I'm kind of curious, you know, you've spent several years now kind of doing deep dives on productivity, attention management, all that kind of thing. How do you, and, you know, there, I'm sure there are so many tips and techniques you've picked up along the way and all that kind of thing. How do you apply what you've learned to kind of how you organize and uh organize your life, organize your attention? What are kind of the things you apply? Yeah, that, that's such a fascinating thing. I, I don't follow all of my advice all of the time. And I think any uh, quote unquote expert that says that they are is, is bullshitting you. Um, they're, they're, <laughs> they're lying to you through and through because we're all human. Uh, we all have uh, distractions. We all have these vulnerabilities that, that we either show to the world or we don't. Um, but I, I like to say that of the advice I give, I follow, you know, 80 to 90% of it, 80 to 90% of the time. Uh, you know, productivity is great, but so is uh, vegging out with Netflix and copious amounts of Indian food. I, I quite enjoy <laughs> that as well. <laughs> you know, it's, so it, it's, it's about that, that wonderful balance. Um, I think the things that have stuck with me, uh, meditation is something that I do for productivity reasons. Mm. And, and I have a 30 minute daily practice that, that I've had for years 
and I wouldn't give it up for anything in the world. I find I'm able to write 40% more uh, when I'm meditating. I find I'm able to dive deeper into conversations. I see more meaning. I'm able to ratchet down how stimulated I am by default. Um, that's something that's really stuck with me through writing the book is we're so stimulated. We need to experience a lower level because it's at that lower level that we're less reactive and we're able to think more deeply and plan things more strategically. Um, I, I set three intentions every single morning, every single week. I have three intentions for the year. And I, I revisit these constantly, making sure that the, the daily ones feed into the weekly ones, which, which feed into the yearly ones. Um, I don't set anything in between. Um, I, 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 I follow so much of the advice that, that I give. Um, and, and this is it's honestly a tough question to answer because so much of this is ingrained in what I do. And it has been for so, so long that it's such a habit and it's so embedded in, in the life that I live and the person I am that it's hard to notice in the first place. <laughs> um, right. and, and so I would say those, um, you know, working in a less distracted state is something that I constantly, because our, our, our mind, it's not our fault that we're distracted because our attention gravitates naturally to what's latest and loudest, but we have to get out in front of that impulse. And so I do. Uh, I work with uh, my, my phones in another room right now. Um, I have mm -hmm. no devices um, besides the one that I'm on, on my computer, um, that are connected to the internet. Um, and, uh, you know, things are simpler that way and more productive that way. Um, and, and so, yeah, mo most of it, it, but it's often hard to notice. There's probably something so obvious. And, and, <laughs> and if some, if you came and visited me here, you'd say, why the hell are you doing that? And I would, oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even notice I was doing that. I love it. I love it. And just on a on a nod to the uh, to the, those those of us who are a bit geeky and a bit nerdy, we we talked slightly about apps earlier and that kind of thing. How do you utilize technology to support your productivity? I like that question because it has to support our productivity. It can't be can't be a distraction from it. Um, right. I, I think it exists to get out of the way and uh, and, and support our work. Uh, so I'm a big uh, fan of the app called Things, uh, which is it's a basic task manager for for every iOS device under the sun, and I love it because it shows your calendar at the top and all your tasks for the day at the bottom. And I keep my three intentions somewhere else, um, and so this captures the minutia of the day. It's kind of it's kind of a, a way by which I review the day. And what's wonderful about it is there's a logbook function of it where you can click the logbook and you can see all of the things you did last week, last, last month, yesterday. And so it, it's a wonderful thing. At the end of the week, you get to see, oh, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was accomplishing much this week, but I did all these things. I, you know, I wrote five articles. I did 25 interviews. I did, you know, whatever. And so it's a great kind of way to review things too. But um, I, I, tr I actually try to minimize my use of technology as connected as I am with it. I, I try to write more in paper books without my phone there. I try to uh, read more, read more physical books because there's just something great about holding a, a physical hardcover book in your hands and, and uh, diving into it because there's no, you can't command tab to, to another app and, and <laughs> check Twitter. And, and so, yeah, I try to minimize my use of technology, but I use it whenever, whenever uh, I have to. Awesome. Awesome. So just, just to kind of bring us to, to a close as it were, Chris, um, 
two questions I ask every guest, and uh, one always stumps people. The first one is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Uh, absolutely. Well, no, the, the, the first question just is, um, what is the question that you haven't been asked, that you'd like to be asked, and what's your answer to that question? I guess that's my way of saying any other business, as it were. <laughs> no other business. Um, something I love being asked. Hmm. Honestly, anything about meditation, what, why I think meditation makes me more productive, because I, I think it's one of the most underrated things that can serve to make us more productive. Um, it takes time, but I, I, I am a big uh, proponent of the idea that for every minute you spend meditating, you make 10 minutes back in how much more focused and uh, creative you become. Uh, you're able to hyper-focus more deeply, but also the more control you have over your attention, um, the, the better your life uh, becomes in almost every way. Uh, of course, you're able to focus deeper, become more creative, but you also rate your happiness as being greater than it is um, when you have more control over your attention. You, you uh, are, are more likely to say you're satisfied with your life. You feel you've been shown to experience greater mental clarity. You uh, develop deeper relationships. What a beautiful result for just sitting on a cushion for, for a few minutes <laughs> right, every day. Right. And, and so I think it's, it's this remarkable thing that puts off so many people. But I, I think whenever something puts us off and whenever something makes it us uncomfortable in one way, we have to use that idea as, as a, a cue that we should run toward that thing. Yeah. And so if we're, uh, you know, putting off having a difficult conversation with somebody, run toward that because there's, uh, there's a better life at the end of that conversation. Um, whatever puts us off, um, it, it's often a sign that it's more important than we think it is on the surface. Uh, and so I think meditation helps me run toward those things and it also helps me, man, it, you know, talking about mind wandering, our mind has been shown to wander to the future more often at a greater proportion when we meditate. What an awesome result. We have, you know, just as a computer has RAM, we have RAM, uh, you know, this mental, uh, this mental uh, temporary short-term short storage in our mind. We have 30% more RAM uh, with which to process the world when we have an active meditation practice. There's, there's concrete benefits and science behind why we should adopt one. Wow. So that being the case, what would be your your quick tip for, for those, as you say, many people get put off or don't know how to get into it. What would be your kind of quick tip for how to start a meditation practice? Honestly, explore the guided ones first, because through guided meditation, you can find, you know, teachers whose styles work for you. The big thing that I think people can take away is that there's no style of meditation that is better than the others. Um, and uh, I, I think once you internalize that idea, the research shows that they all work about the same. They, they work in different ways, but you know, you, you can argue about the narcissism of minor differences all day long, and uh, <laughs> it's, uh, they, they all work. And so find a few guided ones. Start small. You know, be kind to yourself. Be curious. Where is my mind going to go? When, when it meditates, because that's a good signal in and of itself. But I would say start with a guided meditation. Don't pick up some massive tome on meditation and dive deep into the practice. Start small uh, with a small guided one, because then you have somebody to talk to you along the way, and it becomes so much easier. Then, then you know, th those are kind of the training wheels. Once you feel comfortable with the practice after that, uh, start meditating yourself. 
Awesome. Awesome. So um, final question, and that simply is, if people want to find out more about you, obviously they can get hyper-focus in all good outlets, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to in the world and all that, where do they find you? Yeah. So my site is called A Life of Productivity. It's at alifeofproductivity.com. I just got rid of the the annoying newsletter pop-up that used to be there. So you can surf in an ad-free and in, in a <laughs> newsletter pop-up free uh, environment. You, you don't you know feel like you need to take a shower after visiting. <laughs> so <I'm> like, <laughs> and so that's my site. That's where I write about productivity. But yeah, the book is called Hyperfocus, How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction. If you're in the UK, the the title is Hyperfocus: How to Work Less to Achieve More, um, and so it's it's always funny how books are adapted for the UK versus the US. In fact, so, something fun to to do is um, you know go to Amazon.co.uk and go to Amazon.com and uh, search for the name of the book, and you'll see everything you need to know about how the UK and the US are different um, in, in how the books look uh, for, for the different countries. It's fascinating because a lot of the bestsellers lists between the two uh, places are, are the exact same, but you wouldn't know it looking at what the books look like. It's, it's always fascinating to see. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. I'll have to check that yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Chris, thank you so much. That, that has been kind of 45 minutes packed to the rafters of just great stuff and i love how knowledgeable you are and just you know how practical everything you've said is and you know just how frankly there's a lot of compassion in what you've said as well uh which well, i you. which i love so thank you so much for your time today and spending uh spent and giving us your wisdom as it were uh thanks so much for having me it's nice to be here with you brilliant and there you go mavericks that was chris bailey uh an expert on productivity and uh we'll see you next time thank you for listening in and we'll see you soon bye for now hey listen up don't go yet did you get something meaningful out of this episode well the most meaningful thing that you can do right now is to go and leave a review on itunes because those reviews are what keep us here and please make sure to share and to subscribe to this podcast Finally, are you unleashing your superpowers? Well, if so, show us on Instagram with the hashtag MaverickSUnlimited and we'll see you over there. And with that, thanks so much for listening to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast at maverickunlimited.com. Bye for now.